Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm your host, Nikki Henderson. People, innovation, and technology are at the core of the National Science Foundation's critical mission to support research transforming the future. For CIO Dorothy Aronson, a longstanding public servant and leader at the agency, culture has a huge impact on how she prioritizes tech for that mission. One of Aronson's priorities is changing the way they do business in order to keep up with ever-changing technology. Doing so requires a flexible IT governance process, she says. Motivating the tech workforce is also top of mind for Aronson. You'll hear how Hopper, an innovation management group Arnson created, allows people to come together on a regular basis to share their innovations and build upon each other's ideas. My name is Dorothy Aronson. I'm the Chief Information Officer here at the National Science Foundation, and also I have a couple of other important roles. One is the chief data officer uh, and the, also the senior agency official for privacy, which means that I have to worry about PII, privacy information, and the data uh, control. I love doing all of these different jobs. Uh, it's a lot. It's a, it's a broad base. And it allows me to uh, both manage innovation in the technology world and use it to uh, establish a strong data foundation at the National Science Foundation. So I'm really enjoying it. Well, Dorothy, I know that you've been a longstanding leader in public service and innovation. What does the impact of tech mean for an organization like NSF? And how has your tech strategy evolved? So technology, and I, when I'm going to talk about technology from here, I'm going to mix it with data because I think that, of course, my role mixes them together. But also because what, what I see happening in technology, well, technology makes more and more things happen. So uh, technology is more in the hands of, of the consumers of the technology than it ever was before. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all carry phones. We're not, you know, tied to a desktop. We carry phones and mobile devices. And with those devices, we configure them largely ourselves to meet, to meet our own needs, our own particular needs. And sometimes we, more often than not, tell it our preferences, and build, which in effect is building our own applications and our own interfaces. And that wasn't ever uh, something that, that, that people conceived of, you know, 10 years ago. So what is happening with technology, especially with NSF, because I think NSF has a very uh, forward thinking and uh, well-educated customer base that what they do is they push us forward and make, make us evolve with respect to technology more quickly than some other organizations might be required to do. Because, you know, the technology serves the people and the people are asking for a lot at NSF. So um, the strategy mirrors their needs. Uh, and in short, what I see this, this strategy happening with the strategy is how do we more and more empower our customers, our end users and the external customers 
to, to get the work done. And that means helping them become technically savvy uh, and empower them with the right tools and data. I can add one thing to this, which I don't know if I ever said this to you before, but one of the things I really like to think about when I think about technology is uh, in, in this world, really, in many ways, is have is I've seen videos of men or people standing on a log in the water, right? And in order to stay upright, you have to constantly be moving your feet, right? Have you ever seen a, a video of that? Yeah, and, and with technology, it's just the same way. It never, ever, you can never rest. It's constantly changing and you have to constantly work to change with it. And I mean, you may know this yourself, you know, you get an, up, an automatic upgrade of some software application without really asking for it. And you're forced to learn the new interface and the new way of working. And that's what's happening in the world of technology is this constant forward thrust. Uh, and so as the CIO and the CDO, what I try and do is understand what tools to, to use best and also to help people keep abreast of what's going on. Perfect. That actually was a great analogy. <laughs> I know exactly what you're speaking of. Um, well, Dorothy, you're known also to be committed to lifelong learning. So can you please uh, tell me a little more about that? Sure. So that goes along with the man on the log, right? And that, and here's another thing. It's not that person's job. So think about learning in terms of, I have to be responsible for my own continuously learning what's going on, right? The, the people who are IT people and data people at the National Science Foundation who are providing this, these services to people, they have to keep learning. So, um, and also the people receiving the, the, the products are also having to be learning. And that, so that's one way of thinking about it is that, so, so a very important part of this people adopting uh, new uh, technologies is them seeing them coming, wanting them to come. Uh, there's a whole, there's a whole notion that uh, you have to be ready for the change in order to take advantage of it. And that's part of the lifelong learning. The other part that's really important is that as you, if you had a specialty in some technology and you no longer, or some job area, any job area, and the, because let's just say uh, a machine worker in a factory and that that factory becomes automated technology becomes uh, deployed in that factory in order to do that task. And let's imagine that the factory task is also a little bit dangerous, right? So, so you have this, imagine a person in a factory and they have, they're, they're all suited up. They go in and they do some uh, slightly dangerous, maybe it's just painting, but the paint has an odor, right? So uh, in the future, let's say that a, a robot can do that painting for that person. And you'd think, well, that person's out of a job. They're not out of a job. They still are making the computer run. They are still making the robot run, but they are not in danger anymore because they're not wearing the protective gear. So, but that person has to be able to accept that they're not that they're not hands-on painting, but that they're running a robot that's doing the painting. That's also lifelong learning. And sometimes you have to choose to change your career in your middle of the, your life because of the advances in technology. 
Um, so all of those are components of lifelong learning. Are you a lifelong learner? Um, yes, I am actually. <laughs> Good. I am. And that, and you made a great point that initially people do think that that they are being replaced and that they will be out of a job, but in fact, that isn't the case. So Right. For most of the cases that, I mean, the, the type of work that's coming for all of us, for me. So I was an IT person and now I'm an IT and a data person. I mean, these are important evolutions in your life that you have to be ready to absorb and learn. I mean, you know, it was pretty, you know, it was only a few years ago that I had to take on the responsibility that the whole government changed and started focusing a lot of attention on data. And then we didn't, we didn't have the right to hire a whole lot of data people at that time. We had to take the people that we knew and convert some. So I think that that is an indication of lifelong learning. And it's a really, we have to, as, as, uh, you know, as human beings, we are always learning, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we wish we always had to learn. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes we wish we could just stay still for a while and be safe. And that isn't a good attitude because it's not the it's not the world uh, as that 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 we're living in today. I totally agree. You're exactly right. It, it <laughs> is not. So, well, what about when you consider uh, some of the critical areas within NSF's mission and what its research activities mean for things like natural disasters, supply chain, and public health crises? How are you thinking about your biggest priorities uh, for technology? So, you know, the mission of NSF is critical. It, science and innovation, uh, research, uh, stimulating new ideas are really important. And also recently we've had more of a focus on transitioning. These actually, we've always had a translation responsibility, but it's become very clear now with uh, at NSF. And so for me, what that means is that the, the way we do business has to be able to change in order to adopt the changes in what's going on in our world. And so in, in our world, uh, what I mean by that is I'm in an, I provide administrative support to this great foundation. And the foundation is just like the man on the log, the foundation is changing. And so what's critical for me is to figure out how do we, with, in the federal government, things happen slowly, but in the IT world, things happen quickly. So what's critical from the IT and the data world is how do we, within a framework that's, that moves slowly, how do we move quickly? So understanding how to manage and create procurement vehicles that allow for a change along the line, you know, so if you have a contract or something that's a five-year thing and then a big technology happen, change happens in the middle, how do you, how do you deal with that? Or budgets are not available. So all of those things are a matter of changing within the box. Um, and so that is a very critical skill in my mind. Uh, and we do that here at NSF by having a very flexible IT governance process. So we, we guess what's going to happen in the future and 
then, but we leave enough latitude so that we can make changes along the way. And then we constantly review what we've planned to do and adjust it. So even though we might have planned for something to happen three years out, if it happens one year out, if it happens in the near term, we'll make an adjustment to our priorities in order to make that happen. Does that make sense? So it's called, like, I think of it as agile budgeting or agile governance of the IT. Oh, yes, that that makes perfect sense. Yes, you you explained that very well. Well, when it comes to these technology priorities that you were just speaking of, you know, where do people come into that considering human-centered design and, and user experience? People are the foundation for all of this. There's no um, point in trying to achieve some intellectual objective, you know, so I can imagine some perfect IT, but if the culture of the agency doesn't want it and the people doing the work don't want to do it or can't do it, then then the vision is wrong. So the vision has to be based on, on the culture of the agency first, because again, there's no such thing as creating an IT solution that people use if they don't want to use it. Uh, the, you know, I, I believe, and, and that's the same way. And then we have to match the tech, the people and the dollars that we have on hand and make, and, and the people wanting to do the thing is the most important thing. Because um, how do I explain this? I think the, the people that are creating the solution have to work hand in hand with the customers who are going to receive the, the solution. And if you think of the developer people as people, now this isn't completely true, but if you think of the developers as people who are expert at developing but don't know anything about NSF, they can't develop a solution without the strong partnership with the people that are going to be using that product. That partnership is absolutely essential. And both sides make compromises given uh, what each other want to do and do best. And I think, I believe that happiness is the key here and that the process that they go through to create the end solution has to also be rewarding in itself. Uh, and it's that kind of teamwork where both sides talk and listen and share ideas that ends up with the result that that they enjoy the process every day that they're working on it. Um, that those are the projects that end up being successful, even if the the technical quality of the output doesn't isn't something that you would showcase on a shelf. Uh, it's used. Do you know what I mean? That the, the, the products end up being used because the team that created them and the people that are using them are all in sync in what they want. Yes, I totally see where you're coming from. And yes, people are the key. And of course, if people feel rewarded, you know, and they're enjoying what they do. Right. Um, they have to enjoy it as they're doing it. If You know, it's like uh, the ends doesn't justify the means. You can't create a perfect solution. And if if the people along the way were not enjoying the process, then the solution is just not perfect. It's, you know, that's part of the part of the perfection is the people wrapping themselves around it uh, and creating it together. So, you know, that's that's how I uh, get to the happy end is is have the days happy uh, on the way. 
Right, right. Well, what do you do to motivate the tech workforce? Uh, Usually when I meet people, I ask them first what they want. What is it that you want most? You know, and sometimes people will say, well, I really want, I'm a nine to five person. I just want to get through the day. And then you have to bury, go a little bit deeper and say, okay, well, during the day, you know, I don't want to torture you. During the day, what is it that you want? And I've also, I also like to ask people the question, what reward is the most important to you? Is it your salary? Do you, or do you want the ability to be promoted? Or do you want a gold star? You know, sometimes do you want a pat on the back? You'd be surprised at how many people really want to be seen and thanked. And the way you thank people matters. You know, sometimes people like to be thanked publicly. Other people do not like that. You know, so getting, for me, asking those very um, basic questions is a starting point for how to motivate that person. Also, I like to be really um, authentic with people. Uh, You know, I, I am definitely a flawed person. And so uh, being accepting of people's differences uh, and welcoming of a plethora of different viewpoints uh, is also, I think, important to me. Um, Again, I think being heard is important. Yes, definitely. I agree. Because many times if, if people don't feel like their voice is being heard, they kind of shut down or tune things out. and. You know, caring is important. I care about the people I work with. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than, you know, listening to them, finding them the right spot and and trying to get to that place where people are uh, enjoying their days. Yes. Yes. You will definitely have a a successful outcome taking that path. So I, I totally agree with you. Well, Dorothy, what role does innovation play in advancing technology at NSF? So innovation uh, comes from a lot of different places in NSF. You can imagine there's some people that are, you know, doing advanced research on technology. They have great ideas and sometimes they tinker, you know, with with administrative tools. Uh, And so, um, you know, so sometimes this the program people uh, develop their own solutions to their near term administrative problems using the tools that they have at hand. And uh, I call those people local innovators. Uh, And the local innovators, what we've done at at NSF is we've uh, created a group of local innovators called the Innovation Management Group. And they come together every other week and they share their innovations with each other. And so I love that. It's, it's a community uh, building activity. We also, the local innovators have can build on each other's ideas and we have put together uh, what I, I think of it as a shelf. It's actually a business application that we call Hopper and named after Grace Hopper. And what that does is it's um, it allows, it's a place where local innovators can put their inventions. And then other local innovators can use them and improve upon them. And um, customers 
who also have similar problems can come in and use them. So we have this application where you can come in and you say who you are and you say like which kind of person you are and also uh, which kind of problem you want to solve. And it will show you tools that have been created by local innovators that have solved that problem already. So uh, we have a really lot of fun with innovation at NSF. And then we have a maturity process so that those tools in Hopper uh, can get more and more mature. And, and uh, if, if they're used enough and useful enough, they can be integrated into the larger systems. Isn't that cool? Yes, very cool. I love that idea. That sounds amazing. Um, Dorothy, COVID-19, we, yeah. we know that it turned, against everyone, it. <laughs> yeah, it turned everyone's world upside down. But I want to know, how did the pandemic impact your modernization strategy as far as migrating to the cloud and implementing workflow software? So we were already, we already were prepared for the cloud, for example. And so we had already a strategy for that. That was fine. And I'm not sure that was too much impacted by the by COVID, but uh, the strategies for uh, the workforce being distributed to the extent that it is, it is a very big difference as a result that was expedited, that was um, accelerated because of COVID more than a direct, you know, I, th I believe a lot of this would have happened eventually, but we had to, again, we had to move faster in this one area in order to, to prepare the, the building, for example, for the return to work. I think there's been more change to our strategy based on uh, how many people are going to be in the building and what tools we need in the building versus we have a single headquarters at NSF. So with COVID, we had, as we return to the workplace, we have to rethink how do we reconfigure conference rooms and meeting rooms so that everyone can join regardless of your location. So those kinds of strategies changed. Um, of course, with respect to workflow, everything, those, those last bits of work that hadn't been automated before, um, whatever was on paper for signature before had to go into an electronic system. We were very lucky because we had the electronic system established. We didn't have to build it, uh, but we had an electronic a signature and approval system in place uh, that we were piloting at the time that COVID uh, struck. Uh, so we had to move more quickly into that workflow software, but we didn't have to build anything. And it really didn't change our forward strategy too much in those areas. Uh, of course, COVID has changed all of our uh, ways of looking at the world. So that, that, that psychological impact and the impact of the way we work is very significant, but not so much my modernization strategy. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Glad to hear that. And uh, Dorothy, we are about out of time, but I wanted to know, is there anything on the horizon that you're excited about? Yeah, I'm definitely very focused on the power of data to uh, data. The, the definition of the term data is different today for me than it was a few years ago because my, of my understanding of the great dimensions to data that we never tapped into before. 
And the, the way we can use data in combination with artificial intelligence to and proper documentation and tools, uh, we can really make a very big difference in the way work is done. Uh, it takes a big pull and a, a, and a cultural evolution that has to occur very quickly. I see. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dorothy. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to hearing about any updates um, with your uh, modernization strategy in the next year. So we'll hopefully have to um, touch base with you uh, again soon. So it's great talking to you. Yeah, same here. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay, take care. You too. GovCast, along with CyberCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 